Hello and welcome to the TBG Real Estate Podcast, where we connect you with some of the most innovative and exciting real estate leaders today. We will show you that there are numerous paths to a successful career in the real estate industry, and that some of your greatest missteps can be turned into your greatest triumphs. Without further ado, here's the head of TBG Real Estate, Chris Papa. All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, and today we have a very special guest, Ms. Lynn Thier. Not there, not Thier. It's Thier, Lynn Thier. Lynn is a retail expert. She runs a consulting company called LT Consulting. Uh, how you doing, Lynn? I'm doing great, thanks. And where am I reaching you? Where are you right now? I'm in my office in San Francisco. Oh, how is San Francisco today? I'm down in San Mateo. A little bit foggy right now, but it was beautiful earlier. That's great. And so you are the retail expert. I know you. We You work with my friend Grace, um, and you're now, you're currently consulting with Regency Centers, correct? Correct. I also um, do consulting work for UBS, Realty Investors, also today. Oh, wow. Well, I'd love to dig more into the, uh, the retail sector because... Everyone says retail is dead, right? Wrong. It's just changing. So um, first off, I'd like to kind of go through your background. You've worked for some of the largest retail owner and operators out there. Uh, but let's start with the very beginning. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in California in the East Bay in Moraga. And I'm okay. from New Jersey originally. So I moved to California. You are? I moved to California when I was about two. I knew I liked you. Where in New Jersey are you from? New Brunswick. Wow, I knew I liked you a lot. Now it's just getting more and more clear why. Um, that's where I went to college in New Brunswick. That's where that's where Grace went to college too. I know that. So you moved to the East Bay. You left the best state for the second best state. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was your family in real estate? I mean, where did, where did your interest in real estate come from and or retail come from? My family was not in real estate. My, my family, um, my parents are educators and my interest in real estate came from the retail side and not the real estate side. So I worked in retail while I was in college. Um, number one as a salesperson and then number two as an assistant manager of a retail store. Gotcha. And you were selling clothes or something, Clothes. Right? Something Laura like Ashley. Well, you were a very stylish person, so I can see that. Um, and then, okay, you're in college. You're selling clothes. Did I mean, when did the, the interest in the real estate side develop? So um, a, a friend of our families worked in the retail real estate business for years and years and years and years. Um, he thought that um, I would be great in the business, but he thought once I finished college, I needed to grow up a bit before I got <laughs> into the business. So right out of college, I worked in the stock brokerage business, and I worked at okay. Merrill Lynch and Dean Witter. And one day I called him and asked him to have lunch because I hated the stock brokerage business. I thought it was really boring. And he and I had lunch, and that was back in um, 1990. It was about 1989. 
and we had. Were you in middle school? Yeah, I was. (laughs) (laughs) And we had lunch, and he then introduced me to um, five people. They introduced me to five, and one of the original people that he introduced me to hired me um, to work at her company. So it was basically through some some heavy networking on your end. But one, you kind of expressed it as you not kind of you did express. You asked for help, like, "Hey, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. How do I do this?" Yes. And then you net you networked, and so uh, you know that seems to be a theme. And no matter what area of real estate people are in, I mean, it seems like you know we have all these fancy training classes and stuff, but really, it all comes down to like just getting out there and talking to people. I agree. I agree completely. I agree completely. A a common theme. Um, All right. So how did you get into the business? What were you doing when you first started in in the retail business and on the real estate? When I first started in the retail business, I was a leasing associate at a company in San Francisco called Jarvis and Associates. And the woman who owned Jarvis and Associates, which no longer exists, her name is Elizabeth Jarvis. And Elizabeth was the head of leasing at the Taubman company for many, many years. Um, she's very well known on the retail side of the business. She hired me as a as an associate. And basically, she and her head of leasing at the time trained me um, and taught me how to canvas and taught me how to prospect for tenants as well as um, that, you know, reasons why we do things particular ways. What, uh, so is Jarvis, were they an owner or were they strictly a leasing company? They were strictly, they did own one or two assets, but, um, most of their assets were third party at the time, their assets were, um, security Pacific bank assets, which, um, they were third party leasing them for security Pacific bank. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And what did you learn there? What, I mean, what does it take to be a good leasing broker on the retail side or leasing associate? Um, I learned everything with them from development to leasing. And really it was trying that her goal was that I understood the whole business and not just parts of it, which is inval- which is a very valuable and not something that you gain a, at a lot of companies. Um, what makes a successful um, leasing person is really um, somebody who has insight, um, doesn't take no for an answer, has um, and has tenacity. Yeah, tenacity, definitely, especially on the not when you're working for an owner, right? You're kind of on the third party side which is similar mm-hmm. to what I am. I don't work for any particular, I have a, I have a ton correct. of different clients. Yeah, correct. Yeah. No one's handing me any business. Um, yes, correct. Now, 1990, now it's 2020. I don't know how many years that is, but that's, that's a lot of years. What's the difference? Like what, what the technology difference? Now we have our smartphones and just, I'm just curious, like what would be the, so when the I biggest start, difference between I, then and now and technology wise or like, Hugely, hugely different. So when I started in the business, when we wanted to find a retailer, like for instance, if we were walking down a street and say we saw Starbucks for the first time, Mm -hmm. in order to contact them and figure out who they were, 
you didn't look it up on the internet. <laughs> you had to look it up in a phone book yeah. and you had to call the, the store and then you had to plead with them to give you the phone number, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's really hilarious the difference in how it was then and how it is today because technology makes it, it with technology, it's so much easier to get to people much quicker is one thing. Um, I think the other thing, though, on the flip side of it, when you didn't have technology, especially mapping technology in your car, when you worked on a, a, a specific mall, you knew to tr you knew a trade area really well because you knew all the streets because you didn't use um, mapping services on in your car or on your phone to get places. You had to pay so you really pay attention. Where you were. Yeah, you had to pay attention and look around. <laughs> yeah, which I think that is also really different from what we you know from how it is today. It also must have weeded out a lot of the people like the pretenders, right? From the content, like from the contenders. Cause like if you wanted the, I mean, you really had to get one and get a hold of somebody. Right. I mean, I, I remember in recruiting when I started the internet existed, but there wasn't any LinkedIn or, or it was definitely not as uh, this is in the early two thousands. And so if you wanted to get a hold of somebody, you had to yeah, call the front desk. You had to try to like figure out how their extension. It was very, uh, you had to really want to get a hold of them. You couldn't just like look them up and, and call their number or just find their email address. So I imagine, you know, if you were just kind of halfway serious about being a broker, you would have definitely like found something much easier to do. But if you really wanted to do it, I'm sure it like, you know, th those are the people that survived. Those are the people that survive. You know, I grew up um, in the development world, um, working for some of the largest companies in the business. And with that, you um, have access, you know, the, within the retail sector, if you're working on large shopping centers, which is where I've spent the majority of my career, um, you are dealing with a specific group of tenants who you who are like the top 50 or 100 tenants that you want to do business with, you need to also do business with local tenants to bring them into your center but you're not really, it's, it's a really a relationship business when it comes down to it. So you went from, you went from Jarvis. Then I see you went to GGP, which is, you know, huge name national. Yes. Yes. What did you make that move? And that, so you went to the owner side, owner side there. Um, was that something yes. you wanted to do or you just, you just, I know a lot of people want to, as a recruiter, if I have an owner that's looking to hire a leasing person, like the first part, first place I go is, all right, let's get them out of like one of the brokerage shops because, you know, some people, they want to make that jump. Was yeah. So basically I was recruited um, out of, I was recruited from a previous position to GGP. Um, and um, I knew who they were, of course, um, and everything. And it was a great opportunity. So of course, I ran with it, but I was recruited by a recruiter. Mm -hmm. It was an in-house recruiter at General Growth who had heard okay. about me. And were you still in the Bay Area for that? I was, yeah. So I still was in San Francisco. 
I started at General Growth in what's called specialty leasing. And specialty leasing is you're working on the temporary stores and the carts and the kiosks in the middle of the mall. Gotcha. And I was I was a regional and I was in charge of um, from Utah to Hawaii. I had seven malls from Utah to Hawaii where I was responsible for a budget um, and the mall teams reported to me as it related to who our temporary tenants were and who we were bringing in and all of that. How do you find a kiosk tenant? You find them a couple of ways. One is there's national companies that do only kiosk work. Mm -hmm. And so those are the people that you do your Christmas stores with, your Halloween stores with, and your stores of that nature. And then the rest you find from the other malls around in your trade area that may have, say, you don't have a candy operator, but a mall two towns over has a candy operator. You would get the candy operator from that town to come to your town. That's kind of how that would work. So canvassing. Gotcha. Yeah, because I've actually... It's a long story, but I, I, my friend owned a soccer store in, Ho- in Hoboken and I was yeah. a long time ago and I was looking to possibly help him expand into the West coast when I was going to move out initially before I moved to the Bay area, we were going to move to uh, LA and I was looking at opening a kiosk, selling soccer stuff at the Santa Monica pier or whatever promenade. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember calling. Yeah, I, I forget exactly who it was, but I think I just called the promenade. Yeah, they have like a, they had a phone number on there, like specialty leasing. If you're interested in specialty leasing, like call this number. And I, ca- I yeah. called it. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. it's, it's, it's always funny because they have the strangest things in those kiosks. Yes. So like the strangest things are sold in them. The crazy thing is, is the amount of business that is done in the ones that do well. You know, that's the crazy thing. Yeah. So. But, you know, that business changes like really quickly and, you know, very quickly. The uses change all the time and the business changes really, really, really fast. Um, it's like the, the food truck of the retail industry. It is. Exactly. It's a great parallel to a food truck. Speak, so and kind of where probably the food truck world came from. Yeah. You know, now, I mean, specialty leasing, we're not going to spend a whole episode on specialty leasing, but is that more prominent now? Because, you know, you have all it these is. like, hey, there's somebody with a pop-up restaurant or pop-up like ice cream store thing or ice cream, whatever. So is that? It is. Ex- it is especially today because the world, because construction is so expensive. It's so hard to find employees. And, you know, you can pop in and pop out of different locations is easier than it is putting capital and resources to a permanent store. So for some people, yes. And it is a much uh, bigger business than it was in the past. And it continues to grow. Is there, it seems like a lot of stores, a lot of places, at least in San Francisco, like a lot of like storefronts are like empty. Is that 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 true? Is that true? Why is it Mm -hmm. because like why, I always think, why don't they, The owners lower the rent. Because you can't, if you, so if you are an institutional um, owner, if you lower your rent, you're lowering your, the the value of the property. Mm -hmm. So the local 
landlords as well as the, the institutions will not lower their rents. The um, landlords, the local landlords don't want to either because they don't want to be at lower rent than the institutions. So everyone's pretty much sitting on their hands in a lot of regards. Mm. So they, they sacrifice cash flow for valuation. Mm-hmm. But then it, that lasts for so long and then they all will throw up their hands and take lower rent, <laughs> which is what's starting to happen now. So there will be an influx of, there will be storefronts filled because now some, the, some of the landlords are throwing their hands up because they have to. Yeah. Cause it's frustrating to go around a city, especially like of anywhere. I mean, having like nice retail makes a town or a city. I mean, I live in San Carlos, California down here and like we have a nice downtown and it's like, it's cool little stores. I mean, there's like a lot of restaurants, there's a kid's bookstore and like it brings the community together. And I think that's sort of, uh, is that kind of the, tra- the trajectory of retails come where it's like more of a, a community builder? Is that what people are yeah, going for? It is. Definitely. Definitely is a community builder. That is definitely what, you know, the goal is. I mean, the goal in, you know, every single, you know, a property like a regional mall, regional malls like say Stanford or San Francisco Center, um, are all really inner working cities. Each one is really its own little city in a lot of regards when you start thinking about it and start looking at it. And there's a lot of inner workings of things that are happening with it that are different from other than from just a street of shops. Yeah. And like I grew up in the suburbs in New Jersey and we had some malls and people came together there. I mean, that's where you hung out when you were a teenager, but like it was, uh, they seem very lifeless in a lot of ways. And now mm-hmm. I feel, uh, I mean, I'm going to the Hillsdale mall tonight. I'm going to Sinopolis theater there and they have this new whole, you know, you're probably familiar with it. Like that whole new project yeah. they built over there. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like yes. really nice. Uh-huh. Like everyone's like hanging out yeah. outside and it's like all this outdoor stuff. And like, when yes. did that start happening? Like that turn in retail. That started happening in somewhere around 2000 when that started happening around 2010 ish is when that started happening. And that kind of trend of development started happening was about 10, 15 years ago. Um, you're and really creating an entertainment destination where people want to spend time and, you know, they're put together in a certain way where they have certain where there's places you can hang out and enjoy yourself. They have typically have cinemas, they have restaurants and they have um, other entertainment venues. I love it. I mean, living in the, I mean, I'm, you know, 35, 40 minutes from San Francisco. So I, you know, you don't have the city feel, but having these centers makes it feel more urban. Um, It makes it feel more urban it's a safe place to hang out with your family. And it also is a place that people call theirs, right? The community calls it their own. And that, that really has a lot to do with what we're, what we're doing when we're putting together environments in retail. Yeah. You're creating environment. I love it. I mean, it's, it seems like so much, 
I mean, multifamily properties are apartments. People live there. So that's, you have your pools and your whatever, you know, fitness centers. There's a limited amount of things you can do. And then office is very plain, you know, I feel. But retail, I mean, there's so many different options, right? And, And the tenants are so diverse. Retail is the one that changes the most. And retail is the side of the business that people find that is the most interesting. Those of us that have spent our careers on the retail side of the real estate business um, have done it because we're in most part more retail focused than we are real estate focused in some regards. Mm -hmm. And you're trying always to get like the, the best fit tenant wise into the property. I mean, is is it like, Hey, is, is that generally how it is? Like, how do you, how do you get your tenants? Like it takes a long time to, if you want to get like, say a ABC store, whatever, into the, your mall, like, how is that, what's that process? The process basically starts with demographic and who is your, who is the consumer at the project and the consumer at the project really then you can, then you spend time figuring out who makes, who makes the most sense to bring to the project based upon the demographic of the consumer. Um, and then number two, based upon the sales productivity of the shopping center. It's really all about merchandising. Um, and the merchandising comes together from who the demographic is. The, it's not, and it's, it's based upon a lot of the inner workings of the demographic. So it's not just, oh, the average income is this. So you can have an Apple store. It's the people are educated, their education levels X, their, you know, Mm -hmm. they, um, their incomes are Y, their ethnicity is A, B, C, D, E, you know, it's a combination of all those things that then you can, you take all of those things and then you can put together a merchandising plan of who should be part of the village that you're creating. And so there's companies out there that provide you with these, that data. There are companies that provide, um, that give the data about the lifestyle of the consumer who lives in the trade area. Um, you know, and we used to use, we, we've traditionally use, we, tr- we use um, services that put that information together for us. Um, today, we use a lot of cell phone research. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that is really changing, that has changed quite a bit. And where do you see technology playing, coming into play in the retail? I, I know a company called Locate AI. They do like artificial intelligence to kind of like help st- retail store locations. Um, are there a lot of technology coming into retail real estate that's, that's changing the way you do business? There is, um, technology that is trying to change the way we do business. It's hard to pick a retail location off of a computer because until you walk a mall, Mm -hmm. you don't know if a location is a good location or a bad location. There's some locations you can say, oh, that's a bad location. But most people who have been in the business a long time would all say you have to physically go to a location 
to know if it's a good or bad location because you don't know if it has a weird sight line that you can't see on a piece of paper yeah. on your computer. Um, you know, you there's so much you can see on Google Earth. You're always going to go look at it physically. And then, okay. That, yeah, I mean, you get like a gut feeling too, right? Yes, definitely. And you have a gut feeling, which I don't know that you get from just, you know, looking on your computer. Yeah. Um, what has changed is, you know, the research. Um, we get research much quicker. We use a lot of uh, cell phone data research companies instead of the static ones that take, you know, six months to give you reports. So that's nice. Um, we also, you know, you can do a lot without seeing, without seeing a site and you can do a lot with clients, of course, without being physically um, in the same room as them. Mm -hmm. So all of that, that stuff has changed. And no some. more, no more uh, phone books. Correct. The biggest one. <laughs> <laughs> it is big. Yeah. It's hilarious when you think about it. It's funny. It's really funny. So you went from GGP, you went to Tivoli Village. Is that in uh, in Vegas? It is in Vegas, yes. So basically, um, I was at GGP for 12 years, and I worked um, primar I worked in the start of my career at GGP, as we talked about in specialty leasing. Mm -hmm. About a year and a half after that, I went into permanent leasing, and I spent about 10 years in permanent leasing at GGP. And I worked on properties um, in... First, um, first, I worked on two properties, one in Northern California and one in um, Utah. And then I worked on properties in Northern California and in Las Vegas. Um, I spent, and the, I was then recruited to lead the leasing of Tivoli Village um, in Las Vegas. And I was hired by the developer to um, to um, lease a 300,000 square foot mixed village, um, which was a $500 million project. Wow. How was it was a big project. Um, it was great. Our competitor was my former company, General Growth. <laughs> um, it was, that was interesting. The valuable lesson that I learned was when I walked out of the door of general growth and I started at the new company and I picked up the phone and called my clients that were my clients when I was at GGP, mm -hmm. they all, they all called me back, which you don't know if they're calling back because you work at the second largest REIT in the country yeah. and they're just being nice. And I really learned a lesson that, you know, you learn who you are, which I think is really valuable to know. Um, the um, Tivoli Village um, was a great opportunity. We um, were always ahead of our larger competitor in um, in the square footage that we had leased, and we had a much more interesting mix, and we were bringing in a really great project. Unfortunately, um, we had the collapse of our economy, yeah. And Las Vegas was a disaster. Yeah, and okay. so we went from being about 45% leased to zero in one day. 
<laughs> Boomtown to bus town. Boomtown to bus town. So once that happened, it was, you know, that was a real challenge. So you're like, get me the hell out of here. I'm going back to California. Well, I never left California, so I wouldn't move. Oh, okay. So I was there four days a week and I would come home on Friday, I'd be in San Francisco on Fridays and the weekends. Um, I, then they said I didn't have to be there all the time and they were cutting expenses and all of that, which is natural. Um, they then, the reason I have my consulting business today is them. Basically they were laying off the whole company and they asked, um, the guy I worked for asked me to be a consultant and work with him on seeing if we could bring in if any of the deals were salvageable that we were working on. Oh, nice. Before. Cool. And also you, you and mentioned so, GGP, like you learned the lesson that people follow you, not necessarily the the company you're at. So, I mean, that must've yeah. given you a lot of, besides, I mean, being kind of forced into that situation because of the economy, but it must've given you some confidence like, Hey, like I don't need this whole big backing of this company. Like people like me. Yes. Correct. Correct. Well, and you, you know, you learn that through, and you know, that comes from doing what you say you're going to do, you know, and, you know, and following through. So I think that has a lot to do with it. And that is probably, those are two of the biggest strengths that people within the retail side of the real estate business need or in real estate as a whole need, right? And so you've been doing the consulting, you've had your consulting company for almost 10 or more than 10 years now. I've had my consulting business for almost 11 years. 11 years. And when I started it, I thought it was something I would do and then take a job somewhere. And it's really, it hasn't been any, I haven't needed to. Um, I'm not in a point in my, in my life where I want to move from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that has always been something. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that has something to do with it. <laughs> and so what are, what, what are your current projects that you're working on? Currently I am working on Bay street in Emeryville, mm -hmm. which is owned by UBS realty investors. And I'm working on ceremony center in daily city for Regency. And what are the biggest, I guess, challenges with these, these properties and what are you trying to do with these properties? So I'll talk about Bay Street to start. Uh, Bay Street um, has been open about 14 years and we're doing a complete remodel of the project and basically releasing a lot of the project. Um, it's time. Some of the tenants' terms are up and it's time to move on to the next generation of what that project should be. At its development, um, and really create the shopping village, like as you were mentioning earlier, Hillsdale is. That's what Bay Street should be. The project today has no soul, mm. and really, what we're doing is creating soul. You got soul, like James Brown. Yeah. So creating soul and creating a real, you know, a reason why people want to spend more time there. Well, how do you, how do you create soul? You can't just like. 
you just, I mean, do you learn how to do that? I mean, how do you, it's like, I'm trying to, you know, if I want to decorate my apartment, like I could do it, like I could buy a bunch of expensive stuff, put it all in there, but it looks like crap and there's no soul. Like, how do you create that? It's really um, the mix of restaurants and, and retail, but also what you have within the common area and what the different place making is. It's not something that I'm responsible for. It's something that the architects are responsible more mm. for. You got to have soul to create soul, I guess. Um, yes, but also, you know, the tenant mix has a lot to do with it. And that's a trade area where the tenant mix has changed dramatically in the last in the last 10 years. And since the project is about 14 years old, all of the leases are coming up. And so, you know, it used to be an industrial, Emeryville used to be an industrial town. Today it's biotech and high tech, mostly biotech. A lot of, y- and, a lot of younger people over there. And a lot of younger people and the growth has been substantial and they want different things than a gap store and a banana Republic and, you know, California pizza kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what are you, that's what we're doing there. Okay. It sounds, yeah. So it it sounds like the retail has to follow the, the, the demographics and it usually lags behind because the leases are just continually go like you got to wait for the leases to be up. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, what we, what we try to get done these days, if we can is shorter term leases because shorter term leases give the landlord the opportunity to switch out tenants quicker. The issue with doing that though, of course, is the capital investment um, that retailers make to open a store or more importantly, opening a restaurant is so expensive. It's hard for the term to be shorter than seven years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so what are you guys doing over at Saramonte? Saramonte is a large redevelopment. Uh, Regency bought Saramonte about three and a half years ago. And we're working on the next phases of redevelopment at Saramonte. Today... We have a movie theater lease, which is signed. Um, we're adding restaurants that sit in front of Macy's at Face 280. And we have other restaurants that we're adding um, to that area because we're creating a restaurant row over there. Within the interior mall, we have a remodel that, that is happening today. We, we're adding a theater and we're adding a lot, the next level of retail to that project. And notching up the merchandising of who is there to the next level of merchandising. So today our best tenant that's open is Uniglow and we opened a Vans uh, store in December, but we're adding the next level of merchandising. And that's part of what we, what we try to always do in our business. That's great. And so when people say retail is dead, like I know it's, it's changing, but like what why is it that, um, I mean, I have my, I, I kind of, I might know why, but why, why do you, why is it like the Macy's and the J Cruz are all seem to be going away, but it's more like the higher end stores are sticking around. So your 
so Macy's is a great example. Macy's isn't nimble and Macy's hasn't changed fast enough with the times. So that is what their issues tend to be. J. Crew, on the other hand, um, their issues stem from them, an unfortunate thing that has happened to the real estate business on the retail side is the um, is the venture capital guys owning retail. Mm. And they create, they, they aren't in it for the long term of the brand. They're in, in it for getting their dollars out. And you can't, retail doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it, that's my opinion. And that's a, a lot of people's opinion that work on the retail side of the business, but you need capital to continue ex- to expand brands. So it, it's a hard one. What do you see happening in retail the next couple of years? Where do you see it heading? More to community gathering places where people are going to spend a lot more time where they can come and enjoy all day long, where they can eat, dine, be entertained, and also um, shop. Well, I look forward to seeing how it changes. I actually like the way it's changing. I mean, I'm not a retail owner, so I, I, I don't know. But I mean, I do order a lot of stuff on Amazon. People said Amazon's killing. I don't necessarily think that's true. I mean, I actually, like tonight, like I said, I'm going to the over to Hillsdale for more of the experience. Like I could watch a movie at home on my home theater and off of uh, Netflix or whatever, but I want to go there cause it's a cool experience. And I think it's forced retailers, like even this movie theater, right? Like Sinopolis, like it's forced retailers to become better. I mean, it's just a better movie experience. It's not that much more expensive and it's just, you get these lounge chairs and it's better sound. And I think that it's forcing retail to become just a better product. Yes. So retail is becoming a better product because it doesn't have a choice. Um, the hard part is, is that, you know, values of large projects like a Hillsdale and any of the other projects that you and I could talk about, values are all down. And the problem that uh, the landlords have to continue to change. So they, they stay in business. Yeah. And there's, a, you know, we can have a whole other conversation about, you know, regional malls regional strip centers and how they're changing and you know, their values must be way down. And like, it's definitely like a a value buy right now. And I have some clients that are doing that, but I'm not exactly sure how they're turning them around and what they plan to do with them. But that's, uh, it's another, it's another, uh, podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. so now we're going to add, we're going to put you on the hot seat. Are you ready, Lynn? Be burned by the hot seat. Sure. <laughs> you sound so excited. All right. Any books that you recommend? So one book I recommend is called Re-Engineering Retail, which is a book that um, talks about the changing retail business. Re-Engineering Retail? Sounds good. Sounds appropriate. How about uh, a podcast? Do you listen to any podcasts? I do listen to podcasts and um, one podcast that I listen to is called where we buy. And another one is 
is um, where we sell. It, no, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Another one is um, real estate news for investors. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Um, what do you like to do outside work? I love to travel. I'm a, um, I love to hike. Um, I'm a passionate downhill skier. Oh, wow. Cool. So you go to Tahoe a lot? I, uh, if we had any snow, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to go not this weekend, but next weekend. So I don't know. We'll see. And I love to shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of have you kind of have to if you work in retail. Yeah, when, I, when we when we when I saw you the other day, I mean, that, is that part of your job? You have to go like visit a lot of these restaurants and stuff, right? That's part of. Yep, yep. That part. Seems, that's how you find. That's, that's where we find them from. That part seems pretty cool. Um, what advice would you give to your twenty-year-old self? Have amazing follow-through. Be tenacious, and don't take no for an answer. I think you follow through on that advice. Um, what do you look for in uh, in hiring people? People who are tenacious, but who also are curious and want to understand why. Yeah. And now, how do people get in touch with you if they want to hire you for uh, as a consultant and or just are interested in the retail real estate business? Um, best would be via email. My email is Lynn L Y N N E at L Y N N E T H I E R dot com. Awesome. Well, Lynn, it's been a pleasure getting to know you better. I hope to see you again soon. And uh, you definitely know your retail. And I really appreciate uh, you teaching us something today. Great. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the TBG Real Estate Podcast. Please visit us online at tbg-realestate.com or on Instagram at tbg.realestate. Until next time, have a great week.